Hello and welcome to another episode of Sacred Cinema here on 2XX98.3 FM, People Powered Radio. I am your host, Jimmy Berners-Gunny, for the next half hour, and this week's episode is entitled Delayed Anonymous Romance. title that's going to roll off the tongue is a delayed anonymous romance but I've picked up on this interesting crossover between a couple of films um, uh, one very recent one a couple of other classic films that have uh, two um, ideas you might not associate with each other a lot but when you watch these films you seem seeing that there's quite a lot of crossover between them so all the films we're talking about this week um, have sort of older people, mature people, engage in some kind of romantic relationship. Um, and so it's it's very much playing into this idea of when we talk about delayed anonymous romance, the idea of delayed gratification in the romantic arena. I think all of these films are symbolic of the idea of well, what happens if you wait out for love? Does it come if you sort of put in the effort and, you know, work hard in a sort of disciplined way? You know, when we use the word delayed gratification, does it actually work out in the, in the romantic arena? And then interestingly, there's this other uh, force through all these films is this other motif of anonymity or not just mystery and aloofness although that's part of it but specifically the the, the people in the films themselves not revealing something about themselves um, but but we see in every one of these films um, at least as a symbol um, the, the the protagonists are not giving the other one their name at some point or some in some form of the film but there's always some element of mystery in these sort of older relationships there's always an element of mystery in relationships but if you when we talk about the films you'll see what I mean the first one we're going to talk about is Judd Apatow's uh, 2005 comedy The 40 Year Old Virgin we're then going to move on to Bernardo Bertolucci as the second Bertolucci film we've talked about in the last couple of weeks um, Last Tango in Paris and then we're going to finish things off with a new film by Aki Kuros Moki um, Finnish director Fallen Leaves uh, that's just come out just a couple of weeks ago so quite a bit to chat about this week so let's get started now with the 40 year old Virgin um, I imagine everyone listening to this has heard of this film if they haven't seen it already but basically we've got Steve Carell who plays Andy who is this He's literally a 40-year-old virgin, and when his co-workers at this um, electronic store figure out that he's uh, a virgin, they kind of make it their mission to get him laid, and in that process, he falls for an oldish kind of lady. She's kind of around the same age as him, but she has kids, and those kids have kids, and that she's played by Catherine Keener, and her name is Trish. And to start things off this week, I want to talk about how this film emphasizes the rewards of delayed gratification. And when I use that phrase, I mean... You know, sacrificing things in the short term for the long term, maybe putting off something impulsive um, for the long term uh, for something for a more substantial reward in the end, and how that how the, the the rewards of delayed gratification can be realized in the romantic arena. And when this is in a couple of ways, and the first obvious way is just sort of in the general romantic storyline of the film. You know, Andy is a virgin at forty, so he's sort of delayed. You know, the gratification that comes from having sex until for, and there's degree to which it's voluntary and that sort of thing. But you know, his his character is symbolic of someone that is has has not yet enjoyed the spoils of sexual intercourse as a four year old. Um, and but also, I want to particularly note um, for the purpose of today's conversation how this this concept of delayed gratification or not being able to gratify, not being able to enjoy the spoils of something being put off. Um, over time, just just in his relationship with Trish in itself, so they meet each other pretty early on in the film, but we don't actually see their 
they're um, in, in classic app Italian fashion, you know, he makes quite long comedies. Um, their, their part of the film doesn't really kick off to like halfway through. So we still see him stalling or procrastinating or kind of waiting for the perfect time to reach out to Trish. And when we're talking about um, concepts of like anonymity, I mean, he, first of all, he doesn't tell her that he's a virgin till the end of the film. So we have that element of his aloofness and his mystery and not revealing who he truly is. But we literally do have scenes in the film where he calls her up to try and speak to her and he can't give her his name. And, you know, it's because he's shy and all that sort of thing because he's nervous. But it is symbolic of this, this um, the, the overarching storyline, which is he can't give, he, he can't explain to her, he can't express to her who he really is, who he's true, uh, who the true person behind him actually is, I he, that he's a virgin. But also he can't just, he can't say his name to her until he feels quite comfortable and he's sort of gone through the motions of how to sort of open up with people and, and, and be more intimate with people. Um, but also, and, and this is, I think it's very much worth touching on, is the symbolism of all the toys in his apartment as well. And this is something that's not a particularly hot take because it's, it's sort of expressly expressed in the dialogue in the film where... Um, um, you know, that the characters are sort of saying to him, you know, you're just like one of these toys, man, you've got to open yourself up. And, and, and But we see that the idea that by collecting all of these toys, these collectibles, uh, he ends up making heaps of money um, out of never opening them. So, you know, that's that's symbolic of, uh, again, this, this idea of delayed gratification. Um, you know, the longer you can hold out, the more money this thing's going to be worth and that sort of thing. And and sort of the moral of the story is, the, you know, the fact that he holds out for Trish means he does eventually fall, in, you know, he does fall in love. Um, despite you know the the, the delay all, in all those years, um, but also I also want to briefly just talk about the nature of these toys themselves and how that kind of plays into this idea around discipline. And when we talk about delaying gratification, it is obviously it is always a question around discipline and and being thoughtful and sort of putting the effort in to get something bigger, get something more substantial at the end. And all of these toys, they're pop cultural artifacts, right? So it's not like he's he's not collecting like the complete works of Marcel Proust or Dostoevsky or something like he's connecting like collecting like comic book characters. And there's a funny bit where Seth Rogen makes jokes about him like framing an Asia poster, like the pop band Asia and having the $6 million man's bot. And he's like, this is like such a ridiculous thing to waste your time doing. Uh, you've got to get rid of this stuff and actually, you know, grow up and, and become sort of a more fulfilled person. And so he's ultimately sort of bogging himself down in things that are trivial or superficial. And it's certainly not the focus of the film, but it's certainly worth touching on at this point in the conversation because there is going to be this through line here with the other films where we see this, this parallel between engaging in romance in a serious and adult way and engaging in maybe a more childish or immature way and how that can sometimes look like not trying and how that can sometimes look like trying and, and trying to see, even though it might seem... Uh, you know, hypocritical and ironic at, in certain points in today's conversation, that there is this fine line between being disciplined um, in, in a way that's going to be fulfilling at the end of the day and, and, and being indulgent or being immature or childish uh, in a way that's 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 not or, or could potentially benefit the relationship itself. But let's just park those ideas for now. The result of this film is that we get this overall sense that, you know, being disciplined and thoughtful can lead to this ultimate sense of happiness rather than just via impulsive and indulgent uh, and ultimately debaucherous um, avenues. And we see that in to varying degrees in the side characters played by, you know, Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd and those sort of people. And, and also Andy, to an extent, also sort of taps into that world a little bit as well at the beginning of the film. But then, and, and that's why, you know, his ultimate choice to choose Trish at the end is all the more meaningful. But what are we actually holding out for? 
right? If we ask someone that wants to, you know, that wants to put in the work, wants to put in the discipline, be more thoughtful, be more deliberate in our romantic choices, what are we actually holding out for? Well, before we move to the next film for today's conversation, just to remind you, I listen to 2XX98.3 FM, People Powered Radio. Uh, this is Sacred Cinema, hosted by me, Jimmy Bernasconi. And please stay tuned for more quality radio programming here on the People Powered Radio station. And also jump onto our website to consider subscribing to the station or sponsoring the show. But moving on now to Bertolucci's 1972 film, Film, Last Tango in Paris, and obviously just a word of warning at the start of this one, if you're not familiar with this film, the circumstances of its production uh, were subject to much controversy uh, over the years and have continued to do so since it came out, but um, sometimes that you know that is sort of the cost of great art sometimes and um you know this is a pretty historic you know canonical film and i think we should talk about it um anyway um and 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 you know the, the victims just the, the, you know the potential victims or you know um maria schneider who's sort of publicly spoken about how she felt uncomfortable and brando himself felt uncomfortable and said they've not ever publicly sought that the film not be spoken about or expressed so i, I think we do have license to talk about it but i do want to mention that at the start that i'm well aware this is a controversial film we're actually going to briefly sort of talk about sort of the uh, the impact of the controversy on how the film actually works in a little bit. But if you haven't seen the film, it stars Marlon Brando, who plays a man named Paul, who's this brooding and defeated kind of Bukowski-esque middle-aged American man living in Paris. And he meets uh, Jean, uh, sorry, Jean, I should say, uh, played by Maria Schneider, who's this young 20-year-old Parisian girl. Now, it's very important to say at the beginning that Paul is a recent widower. So, um, and, and he's a widower because his wife, Rosa, uh, committed suicide. And Jeanne um, is sort of, uh, in, as a, in almost like a polar opposite, is just embarking um, into alt- adulthood. And he's, he's actually, meanwhile, negotiating a relationship with, a, with another man, this young boy who's her age, who's actually filming her life. So from right from the get-go, we have, um, you know, almost the polar opposite of 40-year-old virgin, where in 40-year-old virgin, we've got Andy, who's a middle-aged man who's never had sex and is going for an older woman. Um, you've got Marlon Brando, who's had a lot of sex and exudes a certain kind of sexuality, and he's now going out with a younger girl um, and is sort of almost done with sex and love and that sort of thing. Um, and, and just to briefly touch on Jeanne's contrasting um, boys as well, we've got we've got the, the crude and brash and the inattentive, which is the Brando character, and then her young boyfriend is is, is very young and sprightly and, and overly attentive of um, to her in in the fact that he's making a film about her. Um, and it's interesting to see who she chooses and when throughout the film. We're going to get into that in just a second because. I uh, want to kind of mostly focus on here about this kind of myth of delayed gratification or the myth of how discipline or thoughtfulness in romance can lead to true love in this film. So it's kind of the complete opposite of Four-Year-Old Virgin, which is sort of saying, you know, if you hold out and you're really disciplined about love and you're really thoughtful about love, you will find your true love and, and it will all, it'll all be worth it that you put so much time and effort into you know, investing in yourself and investing in your romantic endeavor. This is a film that says it doesn't matter how much time, no matter how much um effort or just particularly time that you put into a relationship intimacy is simply a cruel illusion you'll never you'll never get and i kind of think this would be a really good pairing with something like synecdoche synecdoche new york where the the protagonists both have this condition where you know the deeper they go into themselves and the deeper they go into other people they realize that there's no you know you know this idea of substantial intimacy true love is never going to be a goal that's attainable um, and if we contrast that with something like 40-Year-Old Virgin, um, I've touched about this 
I touched on this a lot on the show, but the, the sort of Romeo and Juliet effect where a true love story can only really take place where the protagonists either die before they grow up and get into a real relationship or the, the film just sort of ends just after, you know, the, just at the, at the point of the honeymoon, which is literally what happens um, in Four Year Old Virgin. But getting back to Last Tango in Paris. So we've got Paul who's lived long enough to know that that true intimacy is this cruel illusion in, in that like you can spend so much time with the person, but it'll never guarantee and is kind of incapable of achieving a, a sense of true level intimacy. And we, we see this depicted in a lot of ways. So we've just got the basic dialogue in the, in the famous scene where he's sitting at, at Rose's deathbed and he goes through the full spectrum of emotions that in, in a way that only Marlon Brando can do, even though he was apparently reading the dialogue on cards on the wall. Like it, it, he, he's so powerful and passionate in this scene. And we truly feel this sense of that, you know, he, he spent decades with this woman. But he's despite all that, he still cannot explain the basic, can't answer the basic question of why she killed herself, despite everything, all the time they spent together, all the, um, everything they went through together, and it's quite a lot from when we pick up in little things. He still is in this, in this sort of pathetic state where he has no idea, and he only knows little things about her, about like, you know, the, the way she wears her makeup and, and flowers and that sort of thing, and whether she believed in God and that sort of thing. But he doesn't know the, you know, the fundamental questions around sort of why she chose to, to end, end, her, end her one and only life. Um, but, but also in the chemistry between Paul and Jean, we, we, their magnetism toward each other is, is, is fueled by this sense of mystery and aloofness that, that, that they both kind of mutually exude. And, it, and this sort of shows us that, that, that they actually pulled together by not knowing anything about each other. It's not by opening it up. It's not by being vulnerable that they're pulled together. Their magnetism in this film is simply through kind of animalistic acts of sexuality alone. So they don't even give each other each other's names. And, you know, that, that, that carries through this idea that we're talking about in today's episode. And just building off that, that, that toy point I made when we're talking about four-year-old virgin, Paul is, it's, it's really important to note that Brando's character in this film, like it's, it's, it's a Bertolucci film, it's set in Paris, it's Marlon Brando, but he's noticeably or unorthodoxically like very crude and immature and has this like sort of teenage boy level sexuality. In other words, he's not sophisticated or thoughtful at all. And and I think, I, I can't help but say this is kind of why the controversial scenes arguably have their place in the film because he needs to be sort of extremely crude for the point of the film to be made it's it's sort of to say that no it's not through being this charming traditionally gentlemanly um a character that he is able to be magnetic it's it's actually through being this kind of crude animalistic um brutal um macho man that he actually is able to magnetize jean's character and that's a difficult thing for us to have to deal with um it sort of subverts these ideas that we had lifted up in in four-year-old virgin and also, if we contrast this with Jean's feelings towards her younger boyfriend and his behaviour um, throughout the film, you know, wanting to film her all the time, and we, if we contrast his behaviour with, with Marlon Brando's, um, it, it's interesting to note that Jean does have this more of a magnetism towards someone who's inattentive to her versus someone who's, like, professionally attentive to her in, you know, in being a filmmaker and making a film about her. Um, and I also, you know, speaking of this namelessness, we can't ignore the, the symbolism and the effect of this this anonymous relationship that these two characters are having, um, the, the sort of the overall effect it has on their relationship at the end of the day. So in, in not knowing who each other are, right, both literally and metaf- metaphorically, um, 
you know, so, so like, you know, if I haven't explained it, the characters don't use each other's names, and it's a very big deal for Paul as well when Jean tries to use his name. So, again, this is subverting this idea you raised in the four-year-old version, for example, where, um, you know, where, where, where discipline is a means of, of, of gaining um, gratification. They, they, the characters sort of engage in discipline as a means to, in the discipline, I mean, in terms of not, you know, making sure that they never say each other's names and, and, and dealing with that and struggling with not getting to know each other, which is a struggle and does require discipline from them. The, their discipline is actually a means of keeping each other at arm's length. It's not a means of intimacy. We see discipline um, having this sort of um, dualistic quality. Discipline can be a means of investing in romance. It can also be a means of resisting romance. It can take a great deal of discipline to keep someone away as much as it takes a lot of discipline to keep someone close. And I think we can all reflect on our own uh, past to experience times in which we've employed discipline for one purpose and also for the complete opposite purpose as well. It happens all the time. So we, we can't get we can't go down this rabbit hole that a rom-com like four-year-old version puts us in where we think, you know, um, romance is about, you know, being very thoughtful and trying really hard um, to, to get what we want in a relationship. It can also be that, you know, being disciplined and, and, and making sure that we don't show our cards is, is, is also, and, and, you know, it's also ultimately, you know, the means through which we keep people away. You know, if we're delaying gratification, we're keeping people away in that process and that gratification that we're expecting or we're promised may never come. In fact, we may deliberately try and put it off because we know it's an illusion, right? And that's very frustrating for Jean to have to deal with that. It's, you know, that's a very complicated concept and it's very annoying. It goes against the gut feeling, um, and it goes against gut feelings. And when we know that she's a bit of a slave to gut feelings in, in, in how animalistic this relationship is. But at the end of the day, or, or, you know, however frustrating that is for Jean, and if you've seen the film, I don't, don't want to give away the ending, but this namelessness, this, the, 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 um, the, the, the anonymous nature to their relationship is ultimately, um, as, as much, despite the fact that it, it requires so much discipline, which is so frustrating, um, this insistence on not embarking in a truly intimate affair is ultimately the way that she liberates herself when things go awry, right? Despite the fact that throughout the entire film, this is a frustration for her. It is ultimately the way that she's able to preserve herself and, and keep herself as a whole human being by the end of this whole ordeal. And, and, and it's one of those beautiful films where we can have sort of this um, antagonist who is kind of right all the time, yet right throughout the whole movie, um, yet still ends up losing, despite knowing everything. It's almost like um, in having that kind of um, self-sabotaging, or not, not self-sabotaging, but in having that kind of um, low sense of self or, or, or pessimistic view of life, um, you can be right. Um, but it also, if you're right about being pessimistic, your life's not going to go well, is it? And, and so it puts us in this very depressing place that I think we need to try and get out of here. So we've started with this idea that discipline and delaying gratification can be a good thing. You know, putting things off can be a good thing in, in, in the realm of love. Even if we don't do it deliberately ourselves, if if the, our successes in love come later in life, that can be a really good thing. But then we have this other idea in The Last Tango from Paris, which is that, you know, it doesn't matter how long you wait, it doesn't matter how long things are kept from you. Um, true intimacy is not only an illusion, not only a cruel illusion, but, but being able to keep one, Keep another person at arm's length is the thing that's going to preserve you. Um, well, that, that does leave us in a, in a difficult place. Let's let's try and reconcile these ideas in this third and final film uh, today, directed by Aki Karos Moki, uh, and this is this is Fallen Leaves. Um, 
And the plot centers on Ansa and Raunio, and they're two older, and I want to sort of mention this from the start, two sort of simple people with simple blue-collar jobs and simple interests who engage in this will-they-won't-they romance, uh, romance for this 90-minute uh, simple uh, tragic comedy. Um, and if you know much of Karasmoki's work, it's very dry. It's very... Um, um, it, it, you know, people people talk about it like a dry sense of humor. They they kind of might think of something like Wes Anderson or something like that. If you haven't seen his films, it's a little bit like I always kind of describe his films. I've only seen one other of his films, um, but it kind of reminds me it's like what I imagine like the Finnish version of The Castle would might be. There is that, that that sort of dry comedy um, that I think if you're Finnish, you probably find the film more funnier than if you're not. But anyway, I want to talk about how this film is able to depict true love being found in between these two competing ideas that we've been talking about today. So true love being found in between delaying romantic gratifications, but also indulging those more animalistic impulses, which is supposedly all that we can ever get out of another person. So to that first point, um, the, the idea of, of, of delayed gratification being a, a means of reaching intimacy. We have, first of all, the symbolism of Ronio's drinking. So the, 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 the I should say, answer is a girl and Ronio. So I'm not sorry if I'm saying that right. I'm not, I'm not finished myself. Ronio, Ronio, please uh, email me, contact at jimmybernasconi.com if you can give us the correct uh, pronunciation of Ronio or answer for that matter. Um, but he has clearly got a, a drinking problem and you know the, the imagery of drinking immediately brings up this idea of you know, that's the perfect, very relatable example of where delayed gratification is better. You know, if, if we can all give up a few drinks and, if, you know, give up all drinks, we're going to live longer, we're going to live happier, we're going to be healthier at the end of the day. And I, I think also, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's very important that we also talk, touch on how this film also explores this idea of being anonymous in, in, a, in a relationship late in life. So again, in this film, we have the characters not giving each other their names until... Oh, I'm not gonna. If it's a new film, so I'm not gonna tell you when, 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 or if that happens. But for the most part of this film, they, they don't refer to each other by each other's names and don't know each other's names. And in subverting Last Tango in Paris, I think that this film is really clever how it depicts anonymity as a means of intimacy, a kind of ironic means of intimacy. Obviously, being anonymous isn't doesn't we don't think of that as being a means of, of being intimate, but it, it's not. It, it doesn't become an obstacle, but rather it's actually a means of these two characters falling in love. Um, and I think that's kind of because of the strengthening quality that anonymity in a relationship can have. So in, in one sense, and, and you know, we talk about these ideas like self-preservation and stuff like that in Last Time in Paris, and there's an element of that in this film too. But what I really want to touch on is how it puts the, the desire that both of these characters have for one another to the test. So if they don't know who each other are, they don't know each other's phone numbers, they don't know each other's address, and they some, and they give each other little clues as the film sort of, well, mostly answered, giving um, Rania little clues about where, where you know, her phone number and things like that. And he, like, loses them in the breeze, and it's, like, it's kind of funny, it's kind of sweet. Um, but why it's sweet is not just because he's clumsy, but because he puts the effort in to find out who she is. So anonymity is like kind of like this... Um, it's kind of like this, um, this, this beneficial or nourishing test that they put each other through, or particularly answer puts Rounio through, in order to see how how serious is he about going, you know, like chasing after me. And also, it endows both lovers, and I think this is probably the more important point, particularly with respect to Rounio, is that anonymity it endows both characters with this growth mindset with respect to each other. Like despite the fact that they're old dogs, if 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 we keep a bit of mystery about each other that mystery kind of translates to, well, what else could this person be, right? And again, the drinking 
aspect of this film plays a role here because you know if you didn't have a sense of mystery and you were an alcoholic people would be like well you're going to be an alcoholic the rest of your life but if you have that sense of mystery maybe you won't be and that, and that sort of drives romance doesn't it it's not a hindrance that's where that's where aloofness and mystery um, and anonymity can make someone more attractive because we can see potential in them rather than fear you know what, what they might not be fear the fact that we don't know who they truly are also, I think it's worth touching on as well that, you know, this is a film called Fallen Leaves. It's about people in the sort of the autumn period of their lives. Yes, it's sort of referencing the fact that they're sort of close to the end. But but where there is something that's cyclical, the seasons are cyclical. And I like that idea that autumn not only is before winter, but winter's before spring, which is before summer. And we might be in a sort of an autumn stage in our lives. but And, and there might be a winter to come. But there's more seasons to come after that. Even if we think there's darkness ahead, there's going to be more after that as well. You know, it's only through that darkness that we're able to get through to that, that brighter version of that person that we think actually isn't coming. Like, I'm in the middle of winter right now. I cannot imagine summer happening in London, but it will happen. It just, even though I don't think it will. But but I want to, it's important that we touch on the sort of the, the, other, the other side of the coin here as well. We've talked about how this delayed gratification is such a good thing. It's really important to make the the point that this film makes a really, um, I think it's kind of a bold claim. I mentioned before these characters are very simple, sort of blue-collar workers. And I've talked about this on the show before about how it's kind of like salt of the earth characters can often, for some reason in this sort of collective unconscious, they always seem to be a bit like a bit smarter somehow than, you know, nerdy scientific types. And I think this film kind of does it in a really clever and relatable way where you don't want the characters to be so disciplined, so obsessed with thoughts that the potential for love expires. So this is really funny scene where the characters go to the movies and they watch, um, it's whether the dead won't die, the Bill Murray and Adam Driver zombie movie. And it's sort of shot in a way that, you know, the transition to it is quite funny. Um, and then when they come out of the theater, there's all these posters of like Jean-Luc Godard and, um, you know, other like artsy, um, like classic cinema films that are, that are on the posters. Well, and you've got other characters coming out talking about, oh, that reminded me of Robert Bresson. And, you know, well, that's not a Finnish accent, but, you know, people talking about you know, these more like artsy um, new wave filmmakers. And it, it's sweet. It's sweet that they went and saw the zombie movie together and they bonded. And if you've seen the poster, the shot is of them in the theatre. And I think that is kind of like the the pivotal point of the film in a lot of ways. But more broader, you know, making a broader point, you know, when they go for dates, they're having little bottles of cheap wine and little modest meals and they're listening to the Ukraine war from 2014 on this old radio. And it's not condescending in any way. In fact, I think what it does is actually put that kind of lifestyle on a pedestal. And it, there's something safe and secure and, dare I say, sort of comforting and, and I guess, romantic in, in not having too many thoughts and embracing technological advances to too, to too much of an extent that... that you know, you, 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 you don't want to be so full of thoughts and erratic thoughts and speaking like a, like a crazy person all the time, you know, because if you, do, if you do that to too hard an extent, you, you're, not, you're not a functioning human being. You can't engage in a loving relationship with another person if you're too obsessed with what's going on in the world and all this sort of thing. And the fact that, and, and those things happen, you know, the opposite of love is war and war happens because people think too much. They feel too much too, a little bit, but but war is a complex thing and think about battlefronts and things like that. There's a scene where answer like turns the radio off she's like I'm, I'm sick of the chaos of all this war and, and you think well that's where true love really blossoms is in sort of turning your, your your cognition off a little bit and letting your heart just and letting kindness and compassion in um not letting the anxieties of a, of a crazy world outside do that you know you, you can't like you can't invent the atomic bomb if you didn't do physics if you get what i'm saying but i think i've made my point that let's try and tie everything together here so 
on some level, there is some logic to delaying our sense of gratification when we're engaging in romantic endeavors. But at the same time, time spent with someone doesn't necessarily guarantee true intimacy. You know, I think what we need to think about is that this is this ideal sweet spot where, where we challenge ourselves to see the mysteries behind our significant other. We see those mysteries as potential for growth, which ultimately guarantee us the indulgences that we can only earn through delayed gratification. That's all we've got time for this week on Sacred Cinema here on 2XX 98.3 FM People Powered Radio. I'm your host, Jimmy Bernasconi. Thanks so much for tuning in and stay tuned for more quality programming here on 2XX. And also jump onto our website to consider subscribing to the show or sponsoring the show. I would love you if you could do that. It wouldn't be delayed gratification. It would be immediate love sent your way. Uh, until next week, have a good one. Thanks so much. Cheers.